tired of the hours spent living for my own. Over in my head, replaying everything I know. Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Do make sure that you are receiving the weekly e-newsletter I only send to you once a week on my podcast website, nhte.net. Pop your email address into the sign-up box and join the others from not only the U.S., but other countries who are getting information about the latest podcast and some exclusives in their inbox every Wednesday. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Boston, my guest is a podcaster, an author, and a composer and producer who is the first missionary to become an EDM artist. In 2022, he put out a six-song EP plus seven other singles. As a minister, he has preached to 80,000 people, and as a DJ producer, has performed to thousands more. On Spotify alone, his top five songs have been streamed over 680,000 times, and the videos on his official YouTube channel have a combined total nearing a half million views. He is touching lives everywhere through his music ministry, as evidenced by his combined social media following of almost 112,000. You've been hearing a song of his called On Fire. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Dr. James. Thank you for having me, Bruce. My pleasure. Thank you for making time. Looking forward to it. Let's start off first by having you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called On Fire which actually came out exactly two months before the day of this interview's release, meaning November 11th and January 11th. Yes. Um, I wanted to compose a song that deals with anxiety, Bruce. <laughs> I think all of us can relate to that. We all get anxious um, in many areas of our lives, at times in our lives. And with my music, I'm, I'm doing more than just creating beats. I want to put a very strong sort of gospel messaging in the music to lift people up from anxiety, from depression, particularly. And this one um, was targeted uh, for people who um, are just confused, lost direction in their lives, um, maybe are anxious about decisions they need to make. Um, don't exactly know what to do next in their lives. And I wanted to sort of reach out to those people through this song. So since I was talking over that song as it was playing during the intro, what is the connection to the title On Fire and what you just described? Okay, well, the, the title, the theme is about being set on fire by God's Holy Spirit. So if you look at sort of like the um, the pre-chorus, um, it describes about praying up all night, waiting for the sun to rise, and then praying for God to, to bring fire in your life. Now, when I say fire, I'm not talking about physical fire, <laughs> you know, where you're going to get burnt, like as if you put your hand on a gas stove or something. Um, 
God's fire comes through the Holy Spirit. As we as we call upon the name of Jesus, the idea there is that people, God begins to bring a cleansing fire. It burns up the dross. It burns up the negativity. It burns up the anxiety and replaces it with a zeal, with with a joy, with, with the fire of his love. And that's certainly been my experience um, when I pray many times. And I wanted to sort of put that, concept forward in this song could an argument be made that maybe there's a double meaning to it because obviously there's a very popular expression that someone is on fire for the lord or on fire for their faith is that a part of this too yes so it's not just about burning out you know the negativity and the problems and the sin or the habits the addictions yeah exactly it, being on fire for the lord is about um you know, being on fire with zeal, with enthusiasm, with joy, um, with energy. Um, and I think, you know, we've all seen people who um, perhaps at times in our lives um, seem to sort of be very bubbly and on fire people. They carry this magnetism and energy. And, I, and I'd love for people to just sort of catch hold of that when they listen to this song. And folks, obviously, stick with us, period, just because I hope you always stay with me for the entire interview. But in particular, in the case of Dr. James and what you just heard him describe, later on in this interview, I'm going to ask him specifically, because this was entering my mind and it was probably entering yours, too, as he was saying all of that. I'm going to ask him later to take us through his process of composing and producing music, because conveying the powerful message that he just shared and then creating and composing the music for it, to me, is a nice challenge that it will be interesting to hear him talk about later. But I said in the intro that Dr. James put out a six-song EP in 2022, plus seven other singles. If you go back to before all that, he had also released singles in June, September, and then October of 2021. So Dr. James, it has just been an all-out assault on your followers with new music. This is kind of a chicken or the egg question. Did you plan the strategy, meaning the calendar, I guess, release dates of when you wanted to release new music and then all of a sudden went, whoa, I guess I better get to work and start producing a whole batch of songs to meet that calendar? Or was it the other way around where you found yourself creating so much new music that you thought, okay, I need to be smart about this and come up with a release plan, meaning dates, frequency, EP versus singles and all that. Walk us through all that you've been doing in terms of releasing new music over the last 18 months? Those, those are very good questions, Bruce. And anybody listening who is a muser, a musician, a composer, um, a DJ, a producer who's tackling these kinds of questions. Um, I mean, I get asked a lot. I have a studio here where I do all my tracking and producing. And uh, we, we, we get clients coming in. We're trying to help producers. Um, some of them are just taking the, the first step, that baby step forward to composing. So I'm going to walk people through my process. Um, right. First of all, um, my original idea was to put out an EP. Um, but then once I started doing some research, I realized, well, hang on. It's quite a big ask to, for someone to listen to a new artist they've never heard of, for example, um, for 45 minutes mm. or for 20 minutes even. But you give them a three-minute song, that's not too much of an ask. Mm -hmm. So I thought, 
to begin with, I'll start releasing singles. Um, and in fact, that, that really is kind of like the strategy that, that there has been for some of the major artists who um, have avoided releasing an album until maybe a year or two years later. They, they released a successive number of singles first as teasers, as, um, you know, as a prelude or, uh, for, for, to capture the, the imagination and the following of the audience. So that's really what I wanted to do. I released a few, I think about three or four singles before the, the EP uh, was released. And my strategy now, Bruce, is to just keep on releasing singles. I find that a lot more effective than releasing albums. Um, and again, it's less taxing on the audience. They'll, they'll enjoy a three, you know, they're more likely to listen to um, a three, three and a half minute single than some expecting them to give a large chunk of their time to listening to an album. And there's more, ch and it's easier to promote as well. Like if you're going to pay for a promotion, it's less expensive to pay for the promotion of a single compared to a, uh, an EP of five songs or an album of 12. Yeah, nowadays there's a popular expression referring to a drip campaign, and that's sort of what you're doing by just putting out one song at a time. And you're right, it is easier promotionally because if you're putting all this time and energy into an EP or a full album, it comes out and then you say oh, I don't know what I really have to promote. And you just keep promoting the same EP or album for the next five months, six months, seven months, eight months. And people go, yeah, I know I have it. What else is there? And so by continuing putting out these singles, you continuously have something new to talk about. Um, that's absolutely right, Bruce. And a major artist that comes to mind who did exactly that is Billie Eilish. Hmm. Um, she she released singles for I think about eighteen months to two years before her album came out. She drip drip feeded her audience with um, you know smash hits, and then when her album came out, um, she already had a massive following who would uh, listen to that album, um, put it on their playlists, and so really I think that should be the approach. That's actually what they teach him. Berkeley College of Music now. That seems to be the theme right now to drip feed audiences with singles. But you need to have singles up your sleeve. You need a pipeline mm. of material. And you're quite right, Bruce. You've got to kind of have a strategy still of what dates to release. My strategy has been like every couple of months now. Yeah, and those of you who are aspiring performers, don't miss out on something very valuable that Dr. James just said, which is, you have to have another one up your sleeve because if all of a sudden you get to the finish line, people are waiting and you say, yes. what's next? Well, can I take a break? No, you can't. That's how competitive the business is. And those are kind of the expectations. You set the bar for yourself. And so in the background, you got to have that next one that's already in the pipeline. And then the one after that has to already be in production. And I got to say, you know, him being an EDM artist it's quite ironic and the timing just worked out that way. I didn't plan it like this, but last week on the show, my guest was Steve Cherubino and he talked a little bit about EDM music and how that had really been his thing when he was first on now hear this entertainment back in 2014. Although he did make a reference to starting his EDM producer podcast back up during that conversation with him, I was talking about focus, right? And Steve absolutely gave them the thumbs up. They are currently doing a giveaway through my show. And folks, you've got just under three weeks left to enter. Although, why wouldn't you just do it now <laughs> before you forget? 
If you're a musician or a creator, you likely already know about the Scarlet range of audio interfaces from Focusrite since, after all, it's the world's best-selling USB interface. Through January 31st, you can enter to win a Scarlet 2i2 third-gen audio interface from Focusrite. So if you're a producer, musician, engineer, someone who works with audio, get your entry in now. Here's how you can do it. Look for the link to the entry form in the description of this episode, regardless of the platform that you're listening through, or on both the Now Hear This Facebook and Twitter accounts, I've got a pinned post, a pinned tweet with the link to the entry form. And of course, the links to Facebook and Twitter are on my podcast's website, nhte.net. Plus, each Wednesday in January, I'm putting a link to the entry form in the weekly e-newsletter, so make sure you're receiving that. Heck, for that matter, write to me via podcast at nhte.net, and I will personally email you the link to the entry form. Enter by January 31st for your chance to win a Scarlet 2i2 third-gen USB audio interface from Focusrite and get pro audio quality for all your recording projects. Dr. James, we were starting to dive into all your music projects, but let's do some background setting first. Although I said at the beginning that you're calling in from Boston, that's not where you're from originally. So share with us where you are from, as well as when and why you came to the U.S. Good questions, Bruce. Um, I don't know. Probably the audience already tells. I'm from England. Um, I was born and raised in the city of London. Um, I uh, left England when I was sort of um, in my um, sort of late 30s and started traveling around. I went to the Middle East, but a large chunk of my earlier life was there in London. In fact, I started off in music in London. I was performing in London clubs. And when George Michael was alive, um, he's Greek Cypriot and I'm Greek Cypriot. Um, and there was some mutual connection between us. He heard some of the songs that I was performing in a particular London club, and he approached me and he expressed interest to buy my songs. Would you believe, Bruce? Mm, wow. Um, so this is the legendary George Michael. I mean, I was like blown away, flattered. But um, my response to George, I said to him, George, if they're good enough for you, they're good enough for me. <laughs> and I just, so I said no to George Michael. I said, not today, George. Mm. And I just continued, you know. But was that a mistake? Looking back now, Bruce, I think it was a mistake. Imagine <laughs> if he'd um, sort of released one of my songs as a songwriter. Man, that would have kind of set my career off a little bit more, I think. Well, you think, yeah, the key word there is I think because we've heard songwriters before say that they had a song on hold with a major artist and then it never got cut. So mm. ultimately it might have fallen back to you anyway. So who knows, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but maybe you did yes. the right thing. You obviously did what you were intended to do. You just didn't, I don't want to say you didn't know it at the time, but you thought you were doing what was in your best interest. But back up though, because you started to go there, I do wonder how it is that you had gotten into music in the first place. I started playing piano from an early age. In fact, I first started playing the violin at school in the school orchestra. And we know about Queen Elizabeth II, who just passed away, a great monarch of Great Britain, was lauded by many Americans. I, I was part of an orchestra. I mean, I'm, I'm just in sort of middle school at this point, mm -hmm. playing violin. And I remember that um, I was part of an orchestra that played to Queen Elizabeth II. Mm. 
Um, so that that was an awesome experience. But I, I found the violin a little bit embarrassing to sort of, you know, carry the violin case in the uh, school playground. It's not like, you know, a fashionable guitar that looks cool. <laughs> a violin case doesn't look exactly as cool. So I kind of started to get a little bit embarrassed. And, and then later I picked up the piano. And I think like a lot of musicians, other things come along in their lives, you know, uh, and I kind of lost focus on the music. I needed to generate wealth. And let's face it, trying to generate wealth in music is a hard task, right? There's a lot of poor musicians out there that I know yeah. who don't actually make it. And they've held on to that dream uh, for years and years and years, and they haven't really had any other income stream. So, you know, I got a job. I developed a career in management, um, various companies. Um, but I always had this interest in music and I, you know, I didn't, con I, I continued with it. And that's what I would encourage uh, a lot of musicians out there doing. Don't just kind of stay in that one lane, hoping for your big break. There's too many disappointed musicians who live that way and they end up poor. I would say develop multiple income streams that can help fund your own promotions, you know, your own music career until maybe that big break comes along. And these days, Bruce, it's not as expensive to produce and release music as it used to be back in the, uh, the 90s, uh, for example. I mean, these days you just need a door, a digital audio workstation. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be Ableton, could be Pro Tools, whatever it's going to be. And you just need a PC and some cans, some good headphones. And you can just sit there, you know, like my, like um, a lot of the big EDM DJs, like Tiesto, like David Guetta, you know, they just sit in hotel rooms, even on planes, and they're they're producing music. Mm -hmm. It's it's so much easier and more cost effective these days. What tremendous synergy this is, folks! If you didn't hear it, you really got to go back and listen to that interview from last week with Steve Cherubino because you're going to hear so much overlap between the two. Dr. James, before we move on, though, go back to piano and violin. Could you still play those today? Do you still play those today? Is there anything else that emerged over the years, guitar or something else? Not guitar. I would not want anyone to listen to me play violin now. Mm. I still play piano. I can play piano. That's fine. Okay. I'm not as good as Zed. I mean, he's an EDM artist, and he's a phenomenal piano player seen him on videos uh he's almost like a concert pianist he's great i'm not quite at that standard but i can play and it helps it helps to be able to play music understand music read notes it's not essential uh, there are artists out there who uh, just got really good production here i would say don't worry if you can't read music so share with us what your vision is behind the music that you make well the thing with EDM, Bruce, is when you hear a lot of the lyrics, um, it's often about partying. It's about living up for the moment, having a good time. It does have that feel-good sort of sound design and tempo, you know, that magic 128 beats per minute sort of rhythm. It's got a good beat. It makes people feel good. But quite often the lyrics are meaningless, you know, uh, even Tiesto's song, I, I mean, I love uh, the motto, but it's about popping champagne bottles and just dancing around, feeling high at parties. I mean, it doesn't exactly give people 
sort, sort of lasting hope in their lives. And mm. That's exactly what I want to do. So I call this genre that I'm in, it's like a subgenre of EDM. I call it gospel EDM. And I'll tell you, Bruce, when I first started out in 2021, there was barely anyone on the scene. I mean, there was maybe one or two artists that I could think of, Brazil, some worship bands that were experimenting with dance music. But now you just search on Spotify, just tap in Christian EDM or gospel EDM. There's a myriad of new emerging artists um, that are that are producing some great sounds. Mm. It's, it's a very refreshing and it's got a positive message. You know, that is gospel, that is good news, that is focused on a relationship with God through Jesus, that gives people hope, that tries to impart peace and joy uh, in a troubled, confusing world. And I think, especially the younger generation, Bruce, when we read statistics from the CDC about there's all-time high depression and suicide rates, well, look, here's an opportunity for us to to try and, and do something about that. This generation, especially the younger generation, they're listening to dance. It is one of the fastest growing genres in the world. And what an opportunity to impact that generation, Bruce. I do have to take my hat off to you because when I first discovered your music, it really caught my attention because of exactly what you described. You do hear that beat, and unfortunately, we have become conditioned to be somewhat prejudiced to what we think we're about to hear and the more discernment I gave to what your song was, I thought this is really different in a good way. I really like what he's doing here because if you do cut through the beats and listen to the lyrics, you say this is a real unique approach. And so I commend you for that. And it does sound somewhat revolutionary, like you say, when the fact that it wasn't that long ago that this really didn't exist. Yeah, it's it's very new. It's a very very exciting genre. It's it's really emerging. There's some great stuff out there. I mean, I'm throwing in my two pennies worth. I say, okay, I'm claiming that I'm the first missionary to be become an EDM artist. I think I am. I've looked around. I, I, at the time when I first launched, I didn't see anyone else. Not not a missionary or sort of like a minister or an evangelist doing something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you will, I'm like, I'm like a music missionary. I'm using music to connect with an audience, with, a, with, with a, the lost and, the, and a dying world, to bring the gospel, much like gospel music. But, you know, this is more, more of a modern take on uh, gospel music. So if you back up to talking about the instruments that you used to play or that you might pick up here or there, or the way it's all created. Can you take us through your process of composing and producing this music that we're talking about? Yes, that's a great question. Now, I, there's, a, there's a caveat to this, Bruce. I think with a lot of composers or people starting out in the music industry want to create and produce and write, they, they, they sort of look at things a little bit sort of parochially they they just stick to their preferences do you see what i mean they they it's, it's almost like a journey of self-indulgence mm. and i think that's a very narrow way of producing music what you have to do and this is what i do i go to the market i find out what other you know people are listening to the most i look i listen to the top 20 top 30 artists in the specific genre I want to produce in. Mm -hmm. I look at what they're doing. 
There is no point trying to reinvent something that's already working. Find out what is already working. Do the research. Mm. Research the sound designs. Research the arrangements. Research the processing and the engineering behind those songs. Um, and then that's what I do. I research and then I grab a reference that I'm really excited about. That's doing well. A very successful reference, a hit that I can use as a guide. So once I have a reference, then I start producing something original from that reference. It might sound similar, but it's original in terms of its melodies, its chords, uh, its sound designs, but it will be roughly in the ballpark of, of, of what that reference sounds like. Um, and once I've produced the music, Bruce, then I do it this way around. I know a lot of other composers, you know, they think of a melody line, a vocal line. They, they create this top line and fit the music around it. I mean, yeah, that, that's fantastic. Whatever works for, 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 for the composer. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one way to do this. My way is I, I produce the music first. And then if, if I'm catching the vibe, Bruce, if that music won't, it's kind of inspiring me to get on my feet, then I know I've created a good beat. Mm. Like somebody asked Michael Jackson once, you know, what, what kind of music, you know, do, do you produce? He says, look, I produce music that gets me on my feet. Mm. That makes me dance. If it makes me dance, it will make the audience dance. So that's what I do. I, I, I create music that makes me want to get up and dance. And once I've got that beat, that vibe, that music production, um, then I start writing the messaging, the lyrics around the music. And for the folks out there who do this themselves to whatever extent they do, I'm sure they want me to ask you, what software are you using to create the music? Okay, so um, we, in the studio, I work with my son who's an engineer. He's a Berkeley uh, major. That helps. Um, we use uh, Logic. Um, for um, like produ producing the music, for picking sound designs. We, we also use Pro Tools. We usually mix in Pro Tools, though. So we'll gather these sound designs, we'll create the arrangements, and then we'll usually mix in uh, Pro Tools, which um, is probably the best platform to mix and master in. Um, we sometimes use Ableton. But I would say if I was to pick one, it will probably be Pro Tools. Okay. There you have it. There you have it. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Boston by composer, producer, EDM artist, Dr. James. Visit his official website at drjames.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on his website, scroll down to the bottom for links to his social media meaning Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. On the homepage of his website, by the way, is a music video for On Fire, which was the song that was playing at the beginning of this episode. I mentioned in the intro about the great success that Dr. James is having on Spotify. Do look for and follow him on there, although support him by purchasing downloads of his music from iTunes and other online digital music retailers, Stick around because I'm going to have him tell us about both his book and his podcast. Meanwhile, I've got to say, I know everyone likes using earbuds and that AirPods are all the rage, but if you're serious about your audio, if you're a musician, a gamer, a podcaster, an audio engineer, you don't wear earbuds in those environments, 
for those applications. If you're going to do so, it's because the headphones are just not cutting it. So revive them by getting replacement ear pads from Deconi Audio. All you need to know is the brand and model headphones you have, and then they will match you up with replacement ear pads to give your headphones new life and give you greater comfort and the right approach to hearing your audio projects. On my podcast website, nhte.net, look in the right-hand column if you're on desktop or scroll way down on mobile past the social media logos, and the Deconi Audio logo is there for you to tap or click on. Go see the replacement ear pads they set me up with and then find the match for your headphones. Get on your way to more comfort and hearing your audio the way you should be. I didn't say it in all that, but at the start of this episode, Dr. James, I'd introduced you as an author and podcaster. Let's take those separately. First, share with us about your book, Strength in Tough Times. Yes, the the book in Strength in Tough Times is a daily devotional. Mm. um, There's an encouraging message. There's a scripture shared. um, There's stories. There's analogies. There's teaching um, that is all scripturally based, and it ends with a prayer. So the idea is someone could pick up and read one of the daily devotionals for encouragement, like a shot of faith in the arm, like a pick-me-up, uh, a boost of faith uh, to get through the day, to get through often challenging times. And it only takes maybe two minutes to just read one a day. So I just think it's it's very realistic. It's, um, it's, it's a very quick addition to anyone's day that can really make a difference in terms of getting their mindset uh, right when they're facing challenges. Now, help me here because I asked you specifically about strength in tough times, but am I correct in the fact that there's actually a second book that you actually did as well? I have released two books. The first one that I released, I think back in 2018, was a book called 101 Good Reasons to Believe. Um, That's more of a Christian apologetics book. So, you know, it takes arguments from history, from science, um, from um, various other sort of arguments to support the Christian faith and and to defend the narrative of the Bible. So, um, you know, it's like a com- comprehensive guide to the, the Christian faith. Okay. That was the first book. Gotcha, gotcha. So change hats now from author to podcaster and tell us about Revive Boston, which I believe is actually... Not only a podcast, but a daily radio program, too. Is that right? Yes, it is. Wow. Uh, You've done your research there, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Revive Boston, um, I signed a contract with WEZE. They're part of Salem Media Group. So it's actually a radio broadcast that goes out three times a day on WROL and WEZE, terrestrial radio, um, every day. Uh, so that's a daily broadcast, but um, it's a shame. I mean, those broadcasts are, are really good. It's a shame just to limit them to just a live broadcast. So I just really take the broadcasts, um, take those audio files and upload them so people on demand can listen to them as podcasts through Spotify. But tell us what Revive Boston is, because I'm curious as to whether you are able to incorporate any of your original music into that show. Yeah, 
Um, I can, and I and I normally have some of my music playing um, toward the end of the show for people to get a teaser, a taste of of, of the music and, and where to go to find it. Um, so this is a three-minute show. Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a five-minute, a very quick five-minute sort of shows. I'm a, I'm a bit like that. I think we live in a TikTok generation, <laughs> Bruce, where uh, everyone wants bite sizes, you know, uh, of information. You know, they give you their, their their attention span. You know, it's like sixty seconds Instagram reels. You know, sometimes it, reels on, on YouTube, the shorts there are just 30 seconds. Everyone's looking for those bite-sized pieces of information to ingest. So I thought, okay, instead of doing an hour show or, or half an hour show, I'll do a five-minute show. But you have to be succinct. You have to be concise and clear. You have to have a really strong message to share in that time. And that's what I try and achieve. And then I'd rather sort of put that out several times a day. So that's my approach on that. And again, I take themes from my book, Strength in Tough Times. I take Christian messages that I feel is going to provide people with hope and bring. And I think revival, Bruce, it, revival is about being revived back to life. A lot of people are feeling down. Maybe they're feeling their marriage is dead. Um, maybe they're feeling their career is dead. You know, mm. revival is about reviving those things that are once dead back to life. And I just think. At some point in our lives, we all need revival. Revival starts at home. It starts in our heart. It's a very personal thing. When, and then when you're revived to life, and that revival really comes through a relationship, I believe, because I'm a Christian missionary. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He brings us to life. And then when we come alive, we can bring other people to life. It becomes infectious. Nicely said. Nicely said. We're always interested in the business side of the entertainment world. So in your case, yes, you have lots of music available for purchase from the likes of iTunes and other online digital music retailers. Plus, you've got the book for sale. And I noticed that you have a PayPal donation button on your website and that you've got a 501c3 set up as a potential teaching moment for anyone out there that's considering something like this. Walk us through that approach. Yeah, well, um, as a missionary, um, I I fund myself. I have various income streams, but my income streams don't fully support all the work that I do. So I just basically welcome people to give donations to a nonprofit, 501c3. Every cent goes toward helping us with um, getting the message out there. Um, and I believe in the 3M strategy. So I use music as one of those M's. I use media, you know, radio and, you know, social media and YouTube. But I also do missions. I, I, I go mm -hmm. out and, you know, face to face, meet with people on the street. Like most Saturdays, I'm out at, uh, at a place called Mass and Cass in Boston with a group of other Christians. And we minister to methadone addicts and the homeless mm. and people on crack cocaine and in fact i've got pictures and when we're talking to these people trying to help them out of their situation they're smoking crack in their faces it's really mm. weird wow. it doesn't get any hardcore than that any more hardcore than that wow. we're trying to reach these people and they're high on meth and but we have seen people we invite them to a breakfast, we give them clothes, we give them food. Mm. And so we do some of that outreach to, you know, 
probably who are some of the most down and out in in the whole of the city. But also, I'm planning on a Revive Boston campaign. It's a three-day revival. We got our first one in April. So we're inviting hundreds of people. I'm expecting at least a thousand people there uh, for that Revive Boston campaign. Three-day revival from April 28th to the 30th this year. I like that idea because I'm already envisioning, and I'm sure you are too, that turning into a tour, revive Kansas City, revive San Diego, revive Minneapolis, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Why not, Bruce? Let's do it. I want to start <laughs> it in my hometown where I currently live right now, and who knows where that will lead. So coming back around full circle now, I wonder, have you had any pushback from the EDM community for bringing the gospel into that genre, or conversely, have you had any pushback from the gospel community about preaching through EDM? And if yes to either one, how have you responded to that? Wow. Um, those are very thoughtful questions, Bruce. <laughs> Thank you. And, if, and I would say yes to both. Mm. I've kind of um, sometimes, you know, when you're pioneering something that's novel um, and you're kind of rocking the boat because you're rocking the culture. You're doing something outside of the norms and values of that culture, right? So I would say I've had a little bit of pushback. You can go on some of my YouTube videos on Vivo and you can see some of the comments. Uh. One, one of the biggest, one of the biggest um, sort of uh, viewed videos, music videos that were released under Vivo was um, a, a release called Tidal Wave that got about a million views. I think 1.2 million views. That did really well. Mm. But if you look in the comments there, you know there's a, there's a lot of uh, comments from sort of secular. EDM followers who never heard anything like that, you know, like, holy crap, what is this? You know, uh, this is, uh, you know, Jesus in the dance club. You know, they're kind of surprised. Some of them are mocking. But I would say it's fairly minimal. It's a, it's a small percentage. If anything, Bruce, I've had more heat and criticism from the Christian community Mm. Um, they feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing something ungodly. They don't like the dance moves in the videos. You know, for goodness sake, lighten up. It's just a girl wearing shorts. Mm. It's not like she's half naked showing cleavage, you know, doing a twerk. Um, you know, it, it's done people dancing, people enjoying themselves. You know, I'm trying to make music that, non-christians would listen to videos that non-christians would watch mm. i'm not appealing to the christian community i'm going outside of the box i'm trying to connect with a secular non-christian audience and bring the message to them you know the bible says that believers should go into the world and reach the lost it doesn't say that the lost should come to church it says that the church should go to the lost that's, so right. that's exactly what i'm doing I'm, I'm taking the gospel into those edm spaces yeah, God doesn't call the qualified, or he qualifies the called, or I might have that backwards, but you, you get my point, and that's what you're doing, is you're yes. saying, like, no, I'm not trying to get the people that are already in the church, I'm trying to get people who aren't and who don't know the Lord to respond, if, even if it takes EDM music as the vehicle to accomplish that. That's exactly right, and I mean, what, what does the Christian community want? Again, it's just a minority, Bruce, but yes, I've had criticism, I mean, it didn't sound holy enough. I mean, well, look, there's, there's a <laughs> distinction between contemporary Christian music, 
all right you can listen to that all day you can listen to bethel you can you can listen to daddy big weave um jason upton there's so many people that christians listen to but guess what non-christians are not listening to those people yeah do you know any non-christians that are listening to daddy big weave or elevation <laughs> worship I, or, or let's say maverick city i don't know they're listening if they're dance uh, enthusiasts and um you know edm followers they're listening to people like um you know tiesto they're listening to um um people like zed and so on so you know i'm just creating music that that crowd's going to listen to but doing something beyond the music bringing a gospel message within that space yeah well said well said i like it i like it i know that in the early part of this conversation we talked a lot about all the new music you've done over the last 18 months but i'm going to ask anyway any future projects you're working on that you can share with us today yes there is i've got a, you know i'm always trying to sort of work in advance have about two to three releases up my sleeve in the pipeline bruce um the next release that is coming out um I need to release it, upload it to my distributor, who's Symphonic. They're doing a great job. I think that should be released around February, maybe middle of February. This is a, a remix from a very famous rapper um, called Stormzy. He's he's one of the pioneers of um, grime music in, in London. And he did a song called Blinded by Your Grace. Hmm. Um, and it's, 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 it's very gospel rap. So I, and, it, and it did extremely well. Um, so I've taken that and I've basically done a dance music remix of that song. No, but no one else has done a dance music um, sort of uh, remix of uh, Blinded by Your Grace. I'm really excited about that. That's coming out in February. And set the record straight so that when we close shortly, I can plug this for you again. But did you say that the video that has a million views, is that on Vimeo or is it a Vivo that's on YouTube? It's on uh, Vivo uh, YouTube. So if they just search for me, Dr. James Vivo, that will come up. That's one of the um, music videos um, on that list. Uh, it's called Tidal Wave. Okay, so everyone go and look for that. We're going to close with another one of Dr. James' original songs, one called Set Free, which came out at the end of July. Before I let you go and I play that track, though, Dr. James, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. Yeah, well, again, um, this I, I was looking at CDC statistics, which says, you know, um, their recent report states that psychological distress among youth, including anxiety and depression, has increased. It's at an all-time high. Mm. So I figured that, look, that crowd, the Gen Zs and the early millennials, they need a sense of love and purpose in their lives to tackle those emotions. And I, and I want to try and do just that by uh, merging music with an uplifting message of the gospel to overcome those feelings of sadness. So this release is about being set free from demons. <laughs> uh, you know, it's about being set free from... Um, um, demons that hound people, demons of uh, addiction, alcoholism, anxiety, depression. And it's got this pulsating bass, uh, slap house bass sound. 
that it just moves people to their feet. It sets a punching beat tone, blends elements of dance, pop and slap house, very similar to Tiesto's The Motto. So that song's particularly doing well right now. I'm wondering if you can tell me, I don't want to generalize because right now what I'm going off of is the two songs that we're talking about in this episode, meaning the one that was played at the beginning and the one that is about to be played. I'm also picking up on when you talked about your book. If people went back into your catalog, the six song EP from 2022, the seven other singles, some of the other music that you've talked about, it seems to me, and I'm putting this in the form of a question, that the common theme that runs throughout is you're very interested in addressing real-life modern-day issues and not creating songs about some abstract dreams or ideas. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. I would ask anyone listening is, okay, the music gives you a high, but what happens when the music's over? What happens when you've left a party? What happens when you're sleeping at night, your head's on the pillow, and those nightmares and the depression hits you and you've, those feelings of loneliness? We need something beyond the music, and that's the hope of the gospel. It gives people lasting peace through Christ to overcome those emotions and challenges, to lift us up. And that's all I want to do. I want to give people hope, Bruce. Yeah, so they're not going to find songs about fast cars or songs about heartbreak. This is a very, very different but very specific message that you're trying to deliver. Uh, yes, it is. I'm, I'm trying to transcend the music so that they walk away with a message and a hope that um, that stays with them when the music's over. Wonderful, wonderful. Dr. James, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being on Now Here This Entertainment, and best of luck in the new year with all that you're working on. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, my pleasure. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to composer and producer and EDM artist Dr. James. Visit his official website at drjames.com. As I mentioned earlier, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Lots to see on his website. The music video for the opening song of this episode, On Fire, is there. Plus the two books that you heard him talk about. You'll see a link to get those from Amazon. His Revive Boston daily podcast, you can get at that from the homepage of his website too. And of course, you will find links to his social media Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, all down at the bottom of drjames.com. And of course, this whole time, it's D-R-J-A-Y-M-Z or M-Z. Do give him a follow on Spotify as well, but purchase downloads of his music from iTunes and other online digital music retailers. Please let Dr. James know that you heard him and his music. I now hear this entertainment. Folks, I do hope that you enjoyed the interview and that you like the show itself. If you want to extend a gesture to let me know as much, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and look for the yellow logo there that says, buy me a coffee, and do exactly that. It honestly would mean a lot to me because it tells me that you like what I'm putting out each week. It doesn't matter where you're located. It's simply a way that we can have a hot beverage together virtually. You can even put a personal note on there for me to see. That's going to do it for episode 465. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Dr. James. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Set Free. Every time.
Dressing fancy, trying to hide the pain inside 